Welcome to Critical Thinking Required, hosted by LBW. Our goal is simple. We want to challenge you to think differently about finance and business. Join us and start the journey today. Welcome to Critical Thinking Required. You're with your hosts, myself, Tim Bickmore, and my two colleagues, Dan Weiss and Nathaniel Leach. And today we are going to talk about an interesting topic that's hitting the frontline news in a lot of different ways. But the way that we always hear about it or get asked about is, what's going to happen to the market in the November election of 2020? Uh, A lot of people want to know where the market's going to fluctuate, what it's going to do in the short term, in the long term. Let's talk about it. We have a lot of different thoughts. We feel like it's going to be fun and interesting. So sit back and relax as we talk about the election and what it may do to the markets. Yeah, so... (laughs) Here's the question. Do presidential elections impact the stock markets? And we actually got this question about 14 minutes ago, ending a call with a, with a client. Uh, and really, I think we see this now like every other day, and that's only going to pick up over the next 40 plus days. So I think it's probably best to start talking about really the short-term compared to the long-term possible effects. So why don't we start with the short-term because that comes before the long-term and talk a little bit about really the volatility that is likely to be seen, not guaranteed, but likely to be seen simply because of the uncertainty and the advantages and disadvantages of that. And then we can really address the question because that doesn't quite address the question. So you want to start with short-term volatility, huh? All right. I'll take that one on really quick because I did some digging on some some stats and some different things on the presidential elections and what it does to the markets. And I think our I think our answer to the short term volatility holds true. And I think it probably holds true for most elections. In particular, this election from a market perspective may create more short term volatility due to the divergence of policy changes from a business and taxation perspective than previous elections may be at hand. Now, I say that very cautiously because maybe it was similar into other election times. Democrats definitely have a different viewpoint when it comes to taxation policy versus Republicans. Republicans are typically a little bit more lenient or lower tax rates. Democrats are maybe a little bit more aggressive and higher tax rates on certain brackets. So with this election, based off of the reform in 2017 of the tax code, it's creating a lot of angst, which that angst then can maybe go back and and filter into the the market or the perceived prices of things, right? And I do think that in the short term, meaning the next few months, we could see some volatility in the market. Like we see volatility all the time. We've seen a lot of volatility here this year in 2020, but I think that you'll probably continue to see it. It might be as well as recency bias with COVID and people just are nervous in general about where the U.S. is. You don't just have COVID, you have China, you have tax potential tax policy change coming. It creates uncertainty. That's really what I'm trying to get at is this uncertainty creates fear. That fear creates irrationality. That irrationality creates volatility within the stock market. So in the short term, I think we could see some downside and upside volatility. What's interesting about that though is if you're actually to go back and look at the stats for presidential elections and and what they have returned, 
And this is actually back when Obama was elected back, uh, his last term and going into, I believe, the first year of the Trump administration, so in 2016. So this is based off of Charles Schwab, Center for Financial Research, found that the market ended on a positive note in 17 of the past 23 president election years, or 74% of the time, with an average annual return of 7.1%. Now, to further that, which is interesting, of the six presidential election years that coincided with down markets, most had obvious explanations. The first is in 1932, the country was in the midst of the Great Depression. In 1940, the world was on the brink of war. In 2000, you had the tech bubble. And in 2008, the market suffered the fallout from the great, the financial crisis, which is very interesting. So out of the, so the six that were down out of the seven weren't necessarily due to the presidential election. It was due to exogenous or other market factors, AKA a depression, a recession, war, tech bubble. So you could say in the short term, we're going to see maybe a market dip, or you could say that maybe we'll end up. But in my mind, in the short run, you're going to just see volatility. And with all that said, Tim brings up some excellent points. I would just simply end that with that, as we constantly repeat to our clients, volatility does not equal risk. So prices may vacillate in the short term, but what matters is what happens in the long term. Speaking of the long term, what we hope to get across in the message, like, like I mentioned earlier, we've been talking about for a long time in-house, is that in the long term, the president from a market standpoint doesn't make big splashes whatsoever. And we can go into some more research, right, showing that, that whether you have a Democrat or a Republican in office, the reality is that the information is so mixed that it doesn't really lead one way or the other. What's also interesting, actually, just speaking about government in general, is that we've read a lot showing that I think there's a common thought that divided governments actually increase what we see from a return standpoint in the market. The reality is that it actually doesn't do that. Whether it's a democratic government or Republican-controlled government coming into play, the when it is once one is headed to one of those sides, the market actually does significantly better than a divided government. Um, the stats have been a little bit off depending on what we read, but for the most part, you're talking a one or two percent difference between party lines. But when you're looking at a divided government, the market return is a third of what uh, of what it looks like when you do not have a divided government. Yeah, which in the divided government, you know, to add on to Dan's comments there, the divided government. So I do have some interesting stats on that, too. So if you were to look at presidential elections and look at who controlled the government at the time, so either Republican controlled, Democrat controlled or a divided government, meaning you have either a Republican at the president with a Congress in the House being Republican or vice versa. If you were to look at that and look over time since I believe this goes back to, hold on, let me just double check. Yeah, since 1949, okay, since 1949, up until today, 11% of the time the United States has been controlled by a Republican government. 27% of the time it's been controlled by a Democratic government. And 62% of the time, like Dan mentioned, has been controlled by a divided government. So 
If you were to look at the stats, when there was a Republican controlled, the S&P 500 price index on a rolling six month has an annualized return of 11.8%, okay, of that 11% time. Over that same time frame, the S&P 500 price index, one controlled by Democrats, has an annualized return of 9.2%, and a divided government has a has an annual return of 6.1%. Now, here's what's interesting about that stat is that you're taking a smaller chunk of time frame relative to Republican controlled and the Democratic controlled, but the majority of the time is controlled by a divided government, meaning that that divided government's going to see different market fluctuations more often, right? It's just a statistical finding where you know, is it really appropriate to say that Republicans are going to make the market better or the Democrats are going to make the market better? I don't know, because 62% of the time, we only have data of a divided government, which is the majority of the time frame, which means that from 1949 all the way to 2018, there's been a slew of things that have affected the market, not just the presidential election. So depending on the time frame that that divide was happening, what I think is even more interesting is it's probably more indicative of when do Democrats get in the House during market downturns, right? Those shifts, you usually see big shifts when there's typically lower, um, you know, if there's a war, you're coming off a war, or if you're coming off of a great, a great depression or a recession, you'll see a switch in the guard because people want to change. They want something different. So maybe that's more interesting. But when it compares to market returns, 62% of the time is, Divided government since 1949. <laughs> yeah, what, what really becomes interesting is not so much with this particular discussion, the president at play, but some of the very specific items that can come out of the presence. So for example, what does get impacted often that we don't hear people talk as much about, still gets talked about, is what those shifts can do to change trade policy the Fed policy, taxation in general. And, and we'll, we'll get into some of that stuff too, but in all reality, these are, these are more pointed conversations. Well, and furthermore, what's even more fascinating about some of this data is when I was talking about obviously those, those stats, which was again, the S&P 500 return, okay, over those timeframes, but if you then look at what the what GDP has done within those same time frames, so gross domestic product, or how people, you know, for our listeners, how people represent the growth of the economy, like how well we're doing, right? That's what GDP metric really refers to. Is the Republicans had a better price return for the S and P five hundred index, but had a worse GDP growth return. They only grew GDP by two point eight percent, where the Democrats grew it by. 4.4%. And then you had a divided government that grew the GDP by 2.5%. So then it's kind of fascinating to look at too as saying, okay, well, what does that mean? But even just looking at some of the data and the graphs and when Dem Democrats were in house, you're one of the biggest booms we had was during World War II, right? Which we had a big growth, you know, boost in GDP. But was that due to the with the Democrats being in house or was that due to world war II and what we did to get back from the great depression. Right. So that really enhanced probably those numbers. So it's more than just who's in house and who's controlling. You also have to take into consideration of what's going on at the time. President Obama stepped in at one of the worst market collapses of 
since we've seen since the Great Depression, there is only room to grow. But those numbers are then reflected in the Democratic piece, right? Which, and I'm not advocating for Republican or Democrat, I'm advocating to take it deeper than just who's in house, but also coinciding that with what's going on at the time. I think it's really hard to follow, follow and pinpoint who's responsible for what data sources because these these uh, adjustments and the results of them they don't uh, they don't they don't basically unfold overnight. It takes years upon years of of that to actually show its true colors. I and I would add on to that. I'm gonna maybe even pass this to Nathaniel because he's our historian. Um, is I could you maybe I could make the argument that Ronald Reagan's deregulation policies allowed for President Clinton to take advantage of that and have potential growth. You also had Clinton with the tech boom revolution, which also potentially grew with growth as well. But then you could also maybe make the argument that some of the regulations set forth by Ronald Reagan back in the 80s affected George Bush during his presidency and into the collapse into the Great Recession, right? Because you had a lot of banks. There was the Dodd-Frank Act, right, where you had that going into it, which really was, if you, if you go back to the policies made by Ronald Reagan and his deregulations, it allowed for a lot of that to occur up to that point, right? So it's then whose fault is it? Was, did, Bennett, did Clinton benefit from the Reagan regulations? And then Bush was negatively affected by such? You know, so it's, it becomes, I think, more convoluted. And again, that's my own opinion and my own argument. So if people want to come across and ask, I'm, I could be wrong, but it, it could make sense. I mean, there's a lot of variables at play here mentioned, you know, things like trade policy, Fed policy, taxation, brought that up earlier in the podcast. These are, are things that probably should get more of a focus around this conversation. Nathaniel, I know you've got some thoughts to share on, on a couple of those subject matters. Yep. Uh, so, some of these policies are related to the president in power, uh, who's in, in Congress, which house, what, whether the House is controlled by which party, same thing with the Senate. Uh, some of it also depends on who is on the Supreme Court, uh, the judges that are on the Circuit Court of Appeals, uh, the, all these other federal judges and their seats. The president appoints them with the confirmation of the Senate for the majority of those uh, judges. Also, the Fed. The Fed is technically independent from all three houses, uh, excuse me, all three branches of the government. And I see te say technically because sometimes throughout our history, since the Fed was established a little over 100 years ago, there have been some times where the president has gotten very much up into the Fed president's face and said, you will do this. I think that Lyndon B. Johnson was one of those characters, as a matter of fact. Uh, he had a, this is a fun fact, he had something that, that he utilized called the stare, where he would get right up in front of somebody. He was a tall guy, and he would literally lean over, tower over you, lean over you, and, and stare you into submission with what, you, what he wanted you to do. It was Interesting to look at, I have to admit, funny, almost at sometimes when you would see six foot plus LBJ towering over a five foot five individual. Anyhow, uh, the Fed is technically independent. Although the president appoints the Fed president, policies are independent from uh, the three branches of the government. 
For example, our current Fed president, Mr. Powell, has made numerous requests to Congress to come up with more stimulus to stimulate the economy. And he has done his part within the Fed uh, to create a number of measures to help stimulate the economy, but he can only do so much. The point is, there are so many variables at play with regards to the economy and the stock markets. If you want to know what's going to happen to the economy or the markets, the president is just one piece to the puzzle and a very small piece at that. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, and I think where people may have some validity to where the market is, is really more industry focused where you may see companies get hurt based off of difference in policy changes or policy um, arrangements is trade policy, right? There's a big, there's a lot going on with China. We do a lot with China from a trade perspective. If we put tariffs on, if they put tariffs on, that could increase product. That product can increase inflation. That can then get back, right? That may hurt a certain sector based off of the policies being made. Oil and gas, also a big, big sector that can then be shifted based off of policy change in the short run and potential long-term effects. So it's not that we're saying that they can't have different effects. It's just where are you looking, how's it, how's it gonna be and what sector is really going in? Yeah, and I mean, healthcare is another example of a sector that can be manipulated based on people's agendas and how that gets driven inside the market. Yeah, healthcare is a great example. I mean, locally here in Madison, Wisconsin, if you look at, uh, you know, Epic, which Epic is a EMR or an electronic medical records company, one of the, their, their growth boom came out of the policy that the government stepped in and subsidized hospitals to purchase EMR systems. And they had built their system. I mean, they started, I think, in the 80s, or even it was even being potentially even back in the 70s. So they were around for a long time and they were poised to take advantage of that subsidization, right? And that policy change moving forward definitely helped them grow into the market very, very quickly and accelerated their growth. So there are sometimes you have nuances and policy changes that can really help, but you're talking about a certain sector, certain company that was poised to take advantage of such things not necessarily an entire market per se. So here's my final thought. Do presidential elections impact the long-term impact the stock markets? Nope. No, they do not. Uh, people may react a particular way and that might in the short term create the appearance that that might be the case. But in all reality, data has shown over and over again that that is just it's just not the case. It's a fun question to talk about, but uh, we manifest that appearance um, on our own. The reality is no, the presidential election does not impact the stock market. One person does not do that. I will, I will add on to Dad's, Dan's comment and say, yes, it doesn't really have that much of an effect. Will we see short-term volatility? Yeah, I think we could. I think people are right in saying that 
we'll see what happens with the market depending on who wins the election. But over the long run, I'm not worried about the United States or the economy. And when I say long run, that's 10 plus years. And that's really what you should be doing when you're investing. I also, just my last comment where I was really thinking about it from a Republican and Democratic perspective is it fascinates me that Republicans have done better from a price return relative to GDP growth, which makes me think if I think Republicans are gonna do better from a price return, I wanna be a retiree when Republicans are in house. And if I think Democrats are gonna do better from a GDP return perspective, I wanna be a younger individual making income while Democrats are in house. You could make that conclusion, but it's just a fascinating stat. I don't know why I think that's interesting, but it is. I would end with, really it, it comes down to understanding what truly affects the economy as well as the market. As we've stated, there are numerous factors. And a lot of these factors are being factored by certain decisions by certain individuals in power, be it the House, Supreme Court, the executive branch, the Fed, small business owners, entrepreneurs. There's so many different consumers spending money or saving money. All of these decisions conglomerate snowball and have effects over time. So as always, be rational in your understanding of what is occurring around you. Uh, I would then close with, consider this. The Chinese government today, when the communist government took, when the communist party took power in 1949, they set a 100 year plan. And then they have set subsequent five year plans. Those are the kind of plans that have effects. Every leader that is chosen by China is working towards those five-year plans and that 100-year plan. Oh, they also had a 50-year plan, by the way, which they met their goal on. They are thinking long-term. I would suggest we do the same. Wow, Nathaniel, I did not know that. Way to, t- way to take that home. Thank you. And thank you to all of you, our listeners, for listening to three guys talk about their love for finance. Keep your questions coming and have a great night. Thank you for taking the time to start your journey of thinking differently and listening to LBW talk about stuff they love. Until next time. The opinions expressed in this program are for general informational purposes only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual on any specific security, on any specific broker-dealer or custodian. It is only intended to provide education about the financial industry. To determine which investments, broker, dealer, or custodian may be appropriate for you, consult your financial advisor prior to investing. Any past performance discussed during this program is no guarantee of future results. As always, please remember investing involves risk and possible loss of principal capital. Please seek advice from a licensed professional. All opinions expressed by podcast participants are solely their own and do not reflect the opinion of Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC. Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC is a registered investment advisor. Advisory services are only offered to clients or prospective clients where Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC and its representatives 
are properly licensed or exempt from licensure. No advice may be rendered by Leach, Bickmore, and Weiss Wealth Management, LLC, unless a client service agreement is in place.